Okay. I want to share with you the thing that means most to me tonight. The thing that means most in my life I want to share with you. And I think that it is a secret for walking successfully with the Lord. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. For I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that's in in Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, for I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoever desires to save his life shall lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Those are pretty strong words, if you think about it. In fact, if you read just the first part of it, where he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Go ahead, walk up to somebody and ask them, Who do you think said that? They will say, oh, maybe Osama bin Laden. (laughs) These are very strong words. Jesus calls us to something of a relationship with Him and a discipleship with Him. Look in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, reading from verse 23. Jesus answered and said to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. But he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Think about those words. Again, he says in this passage, if anyone loves his life, he loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Jesus is on his way to the cross. That's why he says, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There is honor in serving God. There is honor in serving God. Even in the midst of difficulty, there is honor. Jesus says in the next verse, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And a voice came out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. We must follow Jesus if we're going to serve him. And he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the God of all the earth looking down from heaven at an individual and saying, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to honor her. These are strong words. But if you serve Him, He will honor you. In life and in death, He will honor you. I can't guarantee you a long life. Jesus said of Himself, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay His head. The New Testament tells us if we have food and clothing, with this we shall be content. That's all it guarantees us, is food and clothing. It doesn't even guarantee us life, because we're guaranteed life eternal. With food and clothing, we are to be content. He calls us to something strong. In Mark 8.38, Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my word in this sinful and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of him when I come in the glory of my Father and his holy angels. Could he have been more explicit? What would you like him to say? Has he made it clear enough? If you are ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father and and with his holy angels. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus Christ returns, He's going to introduce us to the Father. And as He goes around and starts introducing the believers to the Father, He's going to say, Oh, 
Father, you, you don't want to meet this one. Way. He says, I will be ashamed of you. I will be ashamed of you. When he returns in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. Could he have been more clear? That he's calling us to a discipleship. To a serving of him. And in serving him, there's honor. There's honor from the Father. Let me start with the summary. This is the summary statement of what I want to share tonight. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, I was trying to think, what can I write? What scripture portion could I write to my own daughter and her new husband on their wedding day? What could I write to them? And then I was reading this passage in the Scriptures. This is the summation of what Moses wrote after he wrote all of what he wrote, the entire Torah to the people of Israel, having walked with them for 40 years, delivering them and walking, them by the pow- walking with them by the power of God out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and up to the brink of the promised land. How would Moses summarize what he has written, everything that he has written and everything that he has said, how would he summarize it? Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 45. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess it. This is the summation. If he's going to speak one word to the people that he loves, it's this. Take to your heart all of these words which I am warning you today. He says, you better command your sons in these words after you. It is not an idle word for you. To some it might be an idle word. You may go into a house and sitting there on a pedestal is an open Bible. But it could be an idle word. But to you, it is not to be an idle word. It, indeed, it is your life. This is your life. This word is your life. You make this word your meditation and it will change your life for good. This word is your life. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word you will prolong your days. You will be blessed in the land in which you go. Your life will be blessed if you honor this word. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Let us look at the secret of His word. If you will take 
His word and make it your meditation. This will be the result. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Who is going to prosper in whatever he does? Who is going to prosper? Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. If you make this book your delight, according to the scriptures, you will prosper. When everyone else around you is withering up, it says you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever happens to the economy, you will be different. You will not only do okay, you will do very well. You will continue to bear fruit when others are drying up. And in whatever you do, you will prosper. Now, the prosperity in God is different than the prosperity of the world. It means something much more than money. I know many very rich people that wish that they had a quality of life that money cannot buy. In the scriptures, it is a quality of life, of family, and of presence with God. Whether you live or whether you die, Jesus said, before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said in John 14, He who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. And he who believes in me shall never die. Whoa. He who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. And he who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, after he finished that statement, he said, Do you believe this? That is the guarantee. There is life after death. He who lives and believes in me shall live even if he dies. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says, you will prosper if you meditate on this word. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your word. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your word. It is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies. 
for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And I understand more than the aged, because I have observed thy precepts. What will come of the man who makes the word of God his meditation? What will come of the woman who will really take the time to make this word her meditation? He says, if you make this word your meditation all the day, you're going to be wiser than your enemies. You'll have more insight than all your teachers. And you'll understand more than the aged. It's a pretty good promise, isn't it? Do you believe this? Do you believe His Word? This is what He said. A young lady sent me an email recently asking me some questions about what I believed about certain issues. And she started her email, I'm sorry I haven't seen you at church for a while. I just haven't had much time for God this past semester. And I wrote back and I said, I, I didn't see you and I figured you were going some other place so I was saddened not to have seen you. But now that I learned that you haven't had time for God, I fear for your soul. And I do. I fear for her soul. Because I know how corrupt and wicked the human body and human mind really is. And you stay away from God very long and its grossness starts to come out. God doesn't have to do anything. We are quite capable of getting ourselves into all sorts of trouble. The converse of that is if you make this word your meditation, you'll have more insight than all your teachers. You'll understand more than the old people. And his commandments will be ever yours. Look in Psalm. No, let, let's turn to. Let's think about. This. Let's think about the word. What the word of God really does. What does the word of God really do? Sometimes when we read the word of God, and I'll tell you, I read the scriptures from beginning to end. So I started Genesis chapter one, verse one. And I read some portion and I say, Lord, speak to me. And then I read some portion, I don't know, maybe it's a half a chapter, sometimes it's just a verse, sometimes it's several chapters, depending on what's happening as I'm reading. I say, Lord, speak to me. And I pick up reading the next day where I left off, and when I've read through Revelation chapter 22, I start all over again. And I've been doing this for nearly 30 years. Read it from beginning to end. And the Lord speaks through the Scriptures like no other method. Yes, God can speak to our hearts. God can give us a thought. God can give us an impression, and these can be very real. But my mind is so corrupt that I have to be very careful with that. Because many times I've believed God has told me something, and He's not told me anything. It was my own mind. You say, how do you know? Because, because I, I just sense that... He, 
you know, I'll turn the corner and there'll be a parking space. There was no parking space. So obviously, it was my own mind. That's how corrupt my own mind is. The Lord God speaks through the Scriptures over and over and over again. I could give you many examples. One day a man opposed me not too long ago at work and started attacking me openly in a faculty meeting about my faith. And before I could respond, he got up and he left the room. And I tried to reach out to him by calling him. I had to leave town that day for California. I tried to call him before I left. There was no answer. I left him a message. And that night, there was a verse that was impressed to me from Matthew 27, verse 19. A little word was dropped in. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, Matthew 27, 19, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. The Lord spoke to my heart. He won't sleep tonight. He won't sleep. I slept very soundly. I woke up that morning and there was an email from that faculty member. Not just to me, but to everyone who was in the faculty meeting. And he was apologizing to me. He said, I was up all night composing an email, justifying myself. I couldn't sleep. And it was a long email. And when I got done with it, I realized that I had no justification. I'll regret this for the rest of my career. And when I got back from California, I reached my hand out to him and I, I, I returned his email saying, I forgive you. Let's just move on. When I came back, I reached out my hand and I shook his hand. He says, I am so sorry. I said, it is over. Let's just get past it. Let's just get past it. And now he's become my good friend. The Lord spoke to me a word about what that man was going to feel like that night through a scripture verse. Gave me great peace. I knew exactly what was going to happen. He speaks a word, a concept, that changes our hearts. Recently I was meditating on Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. To put it in context... Paul was worshipping in the temple in Jerusalem, minding his own business, fulfilling a Nazarite vow. He was dragged out of the temple by Jews that claimed that he had brought Gentiles into the temple. He had not. He was beaten to within an inch of his life. He was delivered by a Roman centurion and some troops. He's tried to speak a word of compassion to his fellow Jews, and they started going crazy and throwing things. He was spent the night in jail. He was put before a mock trial. They, then they, were, they, they planned to kill him, and he was sent to Caesarea. He appeared before Festus and Felix, and he spent two years in prison for something he had never done. Then he was sent on a ship 
to Rome. On the way, he got in a shipwreck. Spent 14 days just going through the sea, not knowing what was going to happen. Got shipwrecked on the island of Malta. It says it was cold and raining. He got bitten by a viper. He ends up getting to Rome. He spends two years in Rome under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, his right hand to a Roman soldier's left hand. Four years in prison for something he had never done, plus another five months in transit trying to get to Rome. You'd think he'd be pretty bitter. What does he do when he gets to Rome? He calls the Jews together. He says, I have a meeting. Let's have a meeting. And he tells them about Jesus. See in verse 23, it says, When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them, this is in Acts 28:23. he was explaining to them the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law and from Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Can you do that? How can you be so superhuman? I mean, if one person gets in my way and I have to walk around them, I'm upset. I mean, this man. Then he says in verse 30, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. He had to rent his own quarters and be chained to a guard. And was welcoming all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Huh! Openness unhindered? He's in chains. He can't leave the place. He's here in prison for two years. Why two years? Because his accusers never showed up. And after two years, if your accusers don't show up, you're released. And he was released. He had another five or six years of ministry after that. Before he was sent back to Rome and beheaded by Nero. How could he be preaching the kingdom of God with all openness unhindered, with a chain on his arm, not being able to leave? You see what it is? It is a state of mind. Say, Lord, make me like this. You see what the Word of God does when you meditate on it? Just nuggets of truth come out. And he talks about in Philippians how the whole praetorian guard had heard the gospel. How was that? Because the man was chained to him. One after another, they'd rotate for two years. I mean, every one of these guys was getting converted. The whole praetorian guard. I mean, I would be spitting and cursing and so upset and get me out of his prison and call my lawyer. The Lord changes our attitude when we meditate on this, so that whatever his circumstances, he he was welcoming everybody. Come on in. I can't leave, but come on in. With all openness and unhindered, this is what he viewed his life as unhindered. You see how where we are is in a state of mind, not what our physical surroundings are. The Word of God does this when you meditate on it. Sometimes he speaks a specific word from the scriptures. Specific word. 
And the most powerful example I have of this is in Proverbs 27. The situation was, I was a postdoc. And I had two small children and a wife. And we were living, uh, I was at Stanford, and we were living in, in Palo Alto, California. And this was in 1985 or 86. No, 87. 86 or 87. And, and uh, I don't know, I got on this kick that, that women shouldn't wear makeup. I don't know where I got it. But I've, I've gone on all sorts of things. I'm past that. And, and um, my wife not only was wearing makeup, she started selling um, Mary Kay. Mary Kay cosmetics. And we had no money. No money. I just had my, my postdoctoral stipend. The rent was $750, and this was in 1986. $750 a month. I had two small children. And she started trying to sell this. And, and uh, she bought this starter kit for like, I don't know, $300. And it bothered me so much. It just bothered me. For days days. I was praying about this. Day, day after day. Praying. Then one morning, I was meditating on the Scriptures. And I came to, to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. <laughs> and the Lord just rushed into my heart and just said, leave her alone. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And she came out from the bedroom. I remember shortly after this, she came walking out of the bedroom. And I said, Shereen, you can wear all the makeup you want, anytime you want. I'm fine. I'm past that. I'm all past that. And it was never a problem from that day. And you know what the Lord did? She has such a gracious heart. She could not bear to sell this stuff to other women, so she just gave it away. It was all gone. The starter kit was over. She was out of business. We didn't have to worry about it anymore. You see, the Lord sometimes speaks a specific word from the Scriptures. Specific words He can speak from the Scriptures. He's able to do this. He's able to do this. So He can speak a concept. He can speak a specific word. Very often, He deals with our hearts through the Scriptures. He can deal with our hearts. There's a, there's a portion in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6. When someone has done me wrong, go to this. In Luke chapter 6, it says in verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. The occasion was I had a colleague. This was 15, 17 years ago in the university. Who was telling, telling undergraduates, not very nice things about me. And you want, you want junk to spread, just tell an undergraduate. 
It was all across the And they would come to me and they'd say, you know, this professor's saying this about you and this about you. And I just getting angry. Why is he doing this? He just... And, uh, you know, I felt, you know, my career was just rocketing off. Because God's blessing was there and his career was just not. (laughs) Then I got so angry one day, I just went storming across to his office and pounded on his door. And he wasn't in. The Lord began to speak to me from this verse that I had previously memorized. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So I set aside a time every day at noontime to just get alone and pray for this man. Just go to the chapel on campus and pray for him. Pray for him. God bless his work. He was having a terrible time in his career. He wasn't getting any grants and his group was small and everything was going bad for him. And I started to pray for him and pray for him and pray for him. You know what happened? He started getting all this grant money. He started getting all this success. And after about a year and a half, he had these grants, he had this building program. God blessed him. You want to know the result of my heart? I didn't hate him anymore. I didn't hate him anymore. You see what the scripture does? Very often, God wants to get a hold of our hearts. And then, he got so successful, he got an offer from another university, he accepted it, and he left. And I was delighted. <laughs> it's just delighting. You see what God, God does? He takes the scriptures and he gets a hold of our hearts, and very often we want him to change something. God changes everything. Do this, do this. I can do that. I can change that. But it's like a cancer around your heart, and it's all just tied in with your heart. And as I begin to excise this thing, it's going to affect your heart. Very often, He does that through the Scriptures. You meditate on this book. And He will do that through the Scriptures. He will begin to speak to you. To change your heart. So that you can become welcoming and unhindered. In the midst of real problems at work. In the midst of real problems at home, you can be welcoming and unhindered. Because if you don't have this book, I'm telling you, the human heart is so sick, so sick, if we don't be in constant fellowship with God through this scripture, this word, that we could be walking along and if, if, a, if a staple is on the ground in our way, we get upset. That's what human life is like without the Word of God working in your heart. You get this Word in your heart and it will change you. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This is, now remember what's happening here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. God is charging Joshua. Moses is dead. In verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead now. Right? 
Now look what God charges Joshua with in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And to this day, started doing this in college, and to this day I keep a pocket full of scriptures. Just memorize them. Just take a portion. God speaks to me from a portion. I'll just print out the whole portion, keep it in my pocket, and just learn it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. You take this word you make it your meditation, you will see prosperity and success in your life. You will see it over and over and over again. A quality that can only come from God. Statistically, 50% of you, half of this room statistically, will undergo the pain of divorce. Half of you. The numbers are the same in the church as outside the church. You want God on your side? Or do you think, oh, I can do this, no problem. We love each other. I've never known anyone to get married who didn't love each other. So apparently that's not enough. I want God working in my life and in my marriage and in my home, and in my children. I want that. I want His input in my life. You make this book your meditation, and it will cause you to live your life according to the ways that are written in it. And by doing that, you will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. Do you believe it? This is what the scriptures say. Do you believe it? This is what he tells us. I challenge you this day to start making this word of God your daily meditation. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. It is your daily meditation. Every one of these scriptures that we looked at as far as meditation, it was daily meditation. You cannot do this once a week or once a month and see the effect. You cannot. You say, well, that's not fair. I should see one-seventh the effect. You won't. <laughs> the, the promise doesn't say you get one-seventh for one-seventh of the effort. It says you do this, make this your daily meditation, and you'll get this. The Word of God is very, very specific. You make it your daily meditation. For nearly 30 years, 
probably 30 years now, I have read this book every day. The number of days that I've missed reading this book in 30 years, maybe two or three times. Something odd happened. I had the flu, and it was just wiped out. Something very odd happened. You make this book your daily meditation, and you will see success. You don't make it your daily meditation, and you will not see the honor of God. The Bible clearly says, He who serves me shall follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And he who serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is true. And I proclaim it is true. And Father, I believe it. I pray for these young people that you get a hold of their hearts and you cause them to love your word and to honor your word and to make it their daily meditation that they could see your promise fulfilled in their lives because you never break a promise. Father, get a hold of their hearts and change their lives from this day forth if they will but obey your word to make this their daily meditation. Father, have mercy on these young people. May they take hold of your word. And for those now here who want to make this their daily meditation, between you and God, you make this commitment now. Father, I pray that they honor their commitments. Lord Jesus, be glorified. Amen.